Well, good morning. Uh, you look at stuff like that and it's like, whoa, I'm paralyzed. I'm paralyzed with all the things that come at us so quickly. Um, and not only paralyzed, some of that stuff creeps you out too. I want the robot knee thing. I, I kind of like that. Uh, but that other, that other AI thing that kind of winked at you, that's like really creepy. I will dream about that tonight. Um, uh, but you look at something like this, and, it's, um, and, and we can be paralyzed with fear. As followers of Jesus, we have to ask, how should we view technology? I mean, if we really, really want to follow Jesus and we really want to uh, be transformed by him and we want to be on mission and committed to the mission of Jesus... I think we do have to ask the question, how do followers of Jesus talk about technology? How do followers of Jesus engage technology so that we are consistently advancing the gospel? So we look at something like this and we start thinking, and again, AI is here and chat GPT is here, and, and we, we have to ask the question, how should we respond to all of the technology around us. Now, today is going to be really kind of a 30,000-foot view of some biblical frameworking, um, some biblical wisdom and considerations on how we should at least begin to think about technology. And next week, we'll talk about some more practicals. I know parents are asking questions, and husbands and wives and children are asking questions about technology, and how should we, as followers of Jesus, kind of deal with this? Now, this is something that you asked for. Uh, when we sent out the, the, um, the green sheets, you, um, you wrote, and what surfaced was, how should we think about and talk about technology? And so that's one of the reasons we're doing it in this particular series. It's all around us. Literally, it's technology it's all around us. And we want to ask, is technology inherently good, neutral, or evil? We want to be able to build a framework on what does it look like? How do we understand it and how do we redeem it to the glory of God? Now, again, we won't be able to cover everything about technology in a couple of messages, but we hope to, to touch on some things that uh, allow you and me to go deeper talking about technology. Now, when we talk about technology, you look at something like this, and um, the, in terms of the, you know, have we invented our doom? And there might be four responses. There could be more, but typically there are four responses, and those four responses are on a large, long continuum. And one of those uh, responses is denial. And denial is like, you know, well, we, we know that there is something out there, but it's not really a problem, and we have it under control, and we are under control. That's one of the responses, denial. But I think there's a second response on the continuum is love. There are individuals who love technology, and they say, well, you know, we are aware of some dysfunction. All we need is better technology to handle our dysfunction about technology. So those are individuals who love technology. And then you have individuals who fear technology. 
Let's smash all the machines. Let's get rid of everything tech-related, and let's continue to just not deal with technology. Protest is the language of this particular group. And then you have those who revolt or resist technology. There is an awareness, and there is a there's a kind of an they, they have analyzed the effects of technology, and there is an awareness, and they say, okay, we are going to curb our appetite for technology. We are going to actually set it aside, and we're going to now, we're going to go back to developing human relationships. And like, like I am getting rid of my smartphone, and I am going to go back to a flip phone. I am going to go back to the rotary dial phone because I am resistant and revolting technology. So somebody said amen. All right. Larry, you need to show me your rotary dial phone again, all right? So we're all over the place on the continuum, right? When we talk about technology, I'm quite sure there are other responses, but these are large, these are large categories when we talk about it. Now, when we talk about technology, we have to ask the question, what are we talking about? So that we're all on the same page. So, so let me give you a, a definition. This is a definition from... John Dyer, he wrote the book From the Garden to the City, and he talked about reclaiming technology for the glory of God. And so I think it's a really good definition, and the book is a great resource as a parent, as someone, as a teen, as someone who wants to know a little bit more about how uh, Christians should respond in a technological world, uh, that resource is a great one. We'll have other resources for you as well. This is what he says. Technology is the human activity of using tools to transform God's creation for practical purposes. That's what technology is. It is the human activity of using tools to transform God's creation for practical purposes. And for over the next couple of weeks, we're going to use, we're going to use Dyer's definition and it's a broad definition, and we need to use this broader definition to talk about technology uh, because when we do, we recognize that the scriptures, the Bible, has a lot to say about technology. Now, if you came here today looking for um, what does the Bible say about uh, Android and Apple phones and 3D printers um, and AI, that somehow the Bible is mysteriously coded and we figured out the code and here's what it says, that then you're sorely disappointed. You're going to be sorely disappointed that, that that's not what we're talking about. Uh, and yet, that's a part of what we're talking about. But if we're looking for, like, tools and machines and utensils and instruments and housing and weapons and clothing and communication, then the Bible has a lot to say about technology. Having this broader definition, I think, is vital to building a theology, a framework for understanding technology. So today what I want to do, I want to try to give us some wisdom or considerations. That, that I'm not going to, I'm going to fly, uh, I'm going to do sorties 30,000 uh, feet uh, above. But I think these are some, some, some really good 
biblical um, principles for frameworking our thinking about technology. So the first thing that we have to establish is we have to actually go back to the very beginning. If technology is basically a tool that this, um, this podium is technology, the microphone that I'm on is technology, your house is technology, the car that you drive is technology, the pencil or pen that you use, if we use those anymore, is technology. All of the things that we use to make life different, to make life better, is considered technology. The shovel that you use to get ready to plant flowers uh, is technology. The chair that you sit on is technology. And so somebody innovated, somebody created, somebody imagined, and that imagination, that innovation came from some place. And this is the first principle that we have to actually hold on to when we talk about technology. God's creativity, I'm in your notes now, God's creativity is the source of human imagination and innovation. That God's creativity is the source for all human imagination and innovation. Whatever we imagined, whatever we dream of, it really is originally sourced in God. Now we're gonna get to how that was corrupted, but the, the, the first step is, is for you and I to recognize that God is the creating God. And because he is the creating God, he created the world. And when he created the world, he gave shape to the world. He gave design to the world. He gave order to the world. He actually filled what was empty with form and life. And he illuminated the darkness. Our God is a creating God. He is a creating God, and he is a good creating God. Everything that God created, he pronounced that it was good, that it was beneficial, it was useful, it was pleasing to him. And so when God created the world, he created it good. He created it beneficial for our benefit, including all of Things, all the things that we use to make life and his creative order good came from his hand. After God created the world, he created humanity. He created you and me. He created male and female in his image with the ability to think, with the ability to emote, with the ability to actually do. And God created humanity. The creating God created you and created me. What a genius God is to create such diversity that we see in this room that God's creation was very good. That's what the text says. Now, this is important. Why? This is important because the source of our creativity, the source of our ingenuity, the source of our innovation, the source of our imagination is rooted in our nature, stitched in our genes as image bearers. 
So, so, so here's what I'm saying, is that God, the great creator, loaned some of his imagination, loaned some of his innovation, loaned some of his creativity to humanity like us. And so we, in turn, we imagine and then we make. We imagine and we innovate. We imagine and we make things to make life easier. So, but God gets the credit because God is the one who gives us the imagination. God is the one who gives us the innovation. God is the one who gives us the creativity. Why? Because all that we have and all that we are is sourced in God, and we are his image bearers. He's loaned us some of this innovation and creativity. So we have to give him credit. So every human creativity and imagination is really a response to God's original commands in Genesis 1 and 2. So God says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. It takes tools to do that. I want you to have dominion. It takes tools and technology to do that. So anything that we imagine, anything that we create, anything that we innovate is really a response. Whether people believe it or not, whether people recognize it or not, it is a response to the command of God to go and create something. Go and innovate. Go and imagine and make the world better. Name the animals. Like, like, like Adam named that, that, he named an animal Palatopus. Like dogs and cats and like, like, I don't know. I'm, this is just such a bias of mine. I don't know if God likes cats. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All the cat lovers in the house, I apologize. Please do not send me emails. Do not send me notes. He does love cats. But naming the animals is a part of our response to God's command to go and innovate and imagine. And every time we make something, whether it's a dinner you make, whether it is those who are technologically savvy and you build a computer, whether you build a house or a birdhouse or you build a garden, it is a witness to our creating God. Every time you put food together and you make something like really delectable, it really is a witness to God. So I think as you cook, as you cook today, men, I know that you and I are probably going to be the ones cooking today. Serious, like, like, that, that, that was wrong. I'm sorry. Okay. Some of you fathers are going out. It is a witness to the creative nature of God. And we get to thank him for stuff that we put together. We get to thank him for the stuff that's built around us. We get to thank him for the cars we drive. Somebody on the, someone in some room imagined a Ford or imagined a Chevy, imagined a Cadillac, imagined a minivan. 
and then brought it to fruition. Whether they acknowledged God in doing that or not, we get to say that is from the creating mind of God. And we get to celebrate that. So God's creativity is a source of human imagination and innovation. Here's the second big idea, and everything else will flow from this. Sin is the source of the corruption of technology. Sin is the source of the corruption of technology. And so when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, we've talked about this. And, and again, when we think about the Bible, I want you to think creation, fall, redemption. This is the framework that you can put anything in. God created the world and it was created good. There was a fall and, and, and it corrupted literally everything, relationships. And God sent his son Jesus to redeem the world. And in redeeming the world that you and I are ambassadors of that redemption. We get to show the world what relationships look like. We get to show the world what technology looks like in the hand of a redeeming God. Okay, so, 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 so when we look at technology, sin, Adam and Eve's disobedience, one rebellious act Set on course, sin in the world, including technology. Last week we talked about race and relational strife. Their sin set the, the world on fire for relational strife and racism and bigotry and all of those. If you've not listened to it, you can go back and watch the message. But even now, talking about technology, sin corrupts even the tools that God says, I want you to make to make life better practically. So let me give you, let me give us some considerations, some considerations for all of us. I can't make you, I can't make you take this. I can't make you um, say, yeah, that's great. I can't do that. You can't make me do anything. But the Spirit of God can work in our hearts to show us where we might be and where I think God desires us to be. So here's the first thing. The first consideration, the first piece of wisdom is technology cannot solve our deepest problems. Technology cannot solve our deepest problems. So after the fall, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they recognized that they were naked, they recognized they were without clothing, so this is their response to their awareness of their nakedness. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. You'll see it. Then the eyes of both were opened, that is Adam and Eve, and they knew they were naked. And here is our first piece of technology after the fall. And here it is. First piece of technology, did I? Oh, here it is. Thank you. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So when they recognized they were naked, they sewed Louis fig tons. <laughs> this is Father's Day, so this is a dad joke, right? All right. <laughs> Where's the, where's the, like, the, the thing that, like, like, the Apollo, the Apo Okay, I got, thank you, Marilyn. You know, how, kind of they snatch you off the stage, right? 
um, they sewed thick leaves together and made loincloths. Now, God creates. And what I mean by that, he makes stuff out of nothing. He made the world out of nothing, without any existing material. Technology is taking already existing material and making something. So you and I cannot create. We can only make. Only God creates. Everybody tracking with me on that? Only God creates. He's the only one that can make something out of nothing. We take already existing material and we make something. And so right now, having that in mind, Adam and Eve were the first technologists after the fall. They made themselves loincloths to hide their nakedness. They had a problem, and the problem was their nakedness. They had a problem, and their problem was that they felt shame and guilt after their sin, and they tried to solve their problem by themselves. They didn't go to God. They didn't go to God and say, God, what are we going to do? They actually took it on themselves and they made coverings for themselves and they attempted to hide from God. They attempted to hide from one another. They tried to solve their deepest problems with technology and they made technology in their sinful state. And so even in, their, in its sinful state, it needed an upgrade. And the upgrade came in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And so Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves and fig leaves and uh, together and covered themselves. God says, you're not covered enough. I'm going to give you something better to cover yourself. Now, this picture in Genesis 3.21 is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and covering all of humanity's sin. That when you and I place our trust in Jesus, that Jesus' death, his blood covers our guilt, covers our shame. Only God can cover our shame. Technology can. Only God can cover our guilt. Technology cannot. Only God, Jesus Christ, his blood can cover what's wrong with humanity. Only God. And yet... We attempt to use technology to solve our problems, to hide our deepest problems. And Adam and Eve tried to use it to cover up their deepest problem, and that was broken fellowship with God. Now, technology is great. It's a gift from God, but it cannot solve the chasm that exists between you and me and God. Only God can do that. So the first piece of wisdom or consideration, just recognize from Jump Street, technology cannot solve my deepest problems. It cannot solve the deepest problems of humanity. 
Technology, as good as it is, cannot solve the problem of racism and sexism. Only God and Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, can do that. You and I, sitting across from each other, having a real, honest, loving conversation, only God can make that happen. All right, here's a second piece of consideration or a piece of wisdom. Technology can be done... Good technology can be done in a faithless and sinful way. Can be done in a faithless and sinful way. So in Genesis chapter 4, we move out of the, uh, from Genesis 1 and 2, we move out of Genesis 3, and we move to Genesis 4. Genesis 4 is all about Cain and Abel being born. These are Adam and Eve's first children, two boys, um, and um, and and they, uh, we, we see in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Abel was born first, and then um, uh, actually Cain was born first, and then the text says, and again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. So you have two two different bro- two brothers with different occupations, and they were um, um, God invited them to bring an offering to him, and they both brought offerings to God. One brought, uh, Abel brought his, Cain brought his. And uh, as they brought them, uh, one was rejected and the other was accepted. Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's offering was rejected. The Bible here in Genesis 4 doesn't really give us the reason why it was rejected. And after it was rejected, Cain got upset and, um, and ultimately killed his brother. So we have the first uh, uh, kind of brotherly, family, familial conflict that we see in Scripture. So he kills his brother Abel, and God ultimately curses him. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. But, but I, I'm curious about why God accepted one and did not accept the other. And, and we don't see that in this text, but we do get a chance to see it in other places in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So we know that one was more acceptable than the other, but the, the passage doesn't give us why. Through which he was commended as righteous, God commended him by accepting his gifts um, and through his faith. So we get a chance to see that, that Abel offered his gift in faith with the right motive, with the right intentions, and he gave uh, in a sense, his, his best, in a sense. So, so we know now that Abel, we, we know on Abel's side what, what made it acceptable, but we still don't know Cain's side of the story. And yet First John chapter 3, verse 12, kind of gives us, fills in some of the details uh, for us. We uh, should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So that was after the, um, the offering was rejected. And why did he murder him? So he kind of takes us back a little bit. Because his own deeds were evil. And his brothers were righteous. So here's what we know that that made Cain's um, uh, offering unacceptable to God. That, That when Cain offered his offering to God, it was from a sinful heart. It was from an evil heart. It was from a poorly motivated heart. It was not a heart fully invested in worshiping God. 
It was, it was given out of, oh, here it is, and you're going to accept it anyway because you're God kind of thing. And yet Abel says, I'm giving out of a heart that loves God, that's motivated purely by God. And Cain, on the other hand, was motivated by evil, a heart turned and shriveled up. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, again, as I mentioned, that we can do good technology. We can be productive. We can be, um, we, we can be helpful in our technology. We can even be spiritual and redemptive in our technology. And it still be from an evil heart. I can preach a message and you engage the message, and my heart can be evil. There are individuals who built technology to get the word out, and it was never, it's not get the word of God out, and it was not necessarily so that people might know God. It was so they could make money. So, so when we do technology, when we do whatever technology we do, whether it is, it is um, uh, using a podium or whether it's using our iPhone or our Android, I don't even know why people have Androids, I'm just saying, I'm just, <laughs> please, please, don't send me any messages. I had to, had to do that dip right there, right? We, we have to ask, why am I doing this? What is the motive behind me doing this? And this is, this is such a personal thing, right? This, we all have fallen into the dungeon right here. We do good stuff, but it's, it's, it's motivated by an evil heart. It's motivated by a heart that is not even connected to God. So this is the reason we need each other. This is the reason why we need the Spirit of God to say, I am doing good technology. Yes, we're building things. We're innovating. We are, doing, we are using our imagination. But we have to ask the question, how is this motivated so that God gets the glory in all that we do? So, so the Spirit of God, for me, for me, this is me personally. I, I, so so when I when I use the so when I use social media, there are moments where I'm about to press send, or tweet, or post, and the Spirit of God has caught me mid and say, "Why are you posting this?" I have pictures with people that you would know their names and they are supposedly great people. But the Spirit of God says, don't post that because it's not motivated from a pure heart. Because you want people to know that you know people. I'm just, this is me. Does anybody else do that? I'm just, okay, just, if, okay, you got to raise your hand. You got to raise, okay. I, I'm just saying that, that there are, there's a motivation in us. We cannot trust ourselves. So the Spirit of God says don't post that. Don't do it because you, you will get the credit and not God. 
Okay? So, so Cain, Cain, um, Cain actually gave this offering from an unpure, impure heart. Here's a third piece of information or at least wisdom, a consideration. Technology attempts to render God unnecessary. Technology attempts to render God unnecessary. So after Cain is, um, uh, once uh, God approaches Cain and he curses Cain, and he says two things about it. He says the ground will not produce after you have killed, you, you killed your brother, the ground will not produce. And secondly, you're going to be a restless wanderer for the rest of your life. And here is Cain's response to God's curse. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Uh, When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So now we begin to see a darker side of technology. This story about Cain murdering his brother Abel God curses him, as I mentioned, and sends him out as a restless wanderer. And instead of wandering for the rest of his life, Cain builds a city. Well, Marvin, what's wrong with building a city? I think that's a good thing. That's a really good idea in terms of technological idea. City is technology. Why is that such a bad thing? if we go back to the text, the curse was, for your sin, you will be a wanderer for your life, for the rest of your life. Suggesting that Cain, for the rest of his life, needed to depend on God for his provision as a wanderer. To depend on God for direction, to depend on God for everything, to depend on God for his will for his life. So Cain says, I don't want to have anything else to do with God. The way I'm going to deal with God's curse on my life, I'm going to build myself a city. I'm going to keep myself safe. I'm going to live by my own agenda. I don't need God. God is unnecessary. I have a city. And this is rendering, attempting this technology of the city, rendering God as unnecessary. It departs this idea that that God is not recognized as someone that I must depend on. It hinders our, sometimes technology hinders our ability to recognize our need for God. Because Cain could build a city, he said he didn't need God. And we do this all the time. I need an answer, Google it. I need an answer, bing it. I need an answer, oh, I'll just look it up very quickly. Because the, 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 world, the world wide web has the answers for me. Why should I stop and pray? Why should I fast and acknowledge and ask God where should I move? Why should I ask God what car should I buy? Why should I stop? God moves too slow. Google is so fast. 
All I have to do is put it in the search engine and I'll have it spit it out. A chat GPT will give me what I need. Bard will give me what I need. God moves too slow. In fact, I think God, I'll call on God when I need him. Right now, I render him unnecessary. And again, this is it's kind of what we do. We'll build, our, we'll build our own nod. We'll take care of ourselves. Just talking to a friend, said he, um, um, a while ago, he, um, he heard, um, you know, God gave them a, 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 just a beautiful house and uh, heard a noise, and it scared him. And he went out and bought cameras and put them all around his house. And every day he's on his phone now looking, who's, is anybody here? Like looking on his phone because he could now see every square inch of his house. And his wife said, you need to get those cameras out this house. And so he put, he said, she said, God gave us this house. God is our protector. He is the one who loves us. He's going to take care of us. Get those cameras out of the house. I said, what did you do with them? I put them someplace. And, and he said, like, like, like I just, it, I was awakened to, to the fact that God, now I'm not saying ADT, again, if, if some of y'all work for ADT, I'm not saying, like, don't buy ADTs. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that, that when the moment we depend on our technology for our lives, for divinity, and for universality, then I think that's when ultimately God is rendered unnecessary. So the question that I ask myself and I'm asking you, how have I rendered God unnecessary with my technology? Some people in this room, you want to mate. You're saying, I don't have time. Man, I ain't got time to wait on God. I'm going to build my own city of Nod. I don't care. I don't care if he's not a Christian. I don't care if he is a Christian. I don't care if she's a Christian, if she's not a Christian. I am building my own city of Nod so I don't have to deal with the slowness of God. How many of you know, how many of you know that when, when you go to God and you inquire of God and he gives you an answer, it's going to be an answer that has depth to it. And it's going to remind you that he is real. He's going to, it's going to remind you that he knows you. It's going to remind you that he has your back. I want to know the will of God regarding moving to another city. I don't have time to wait on God. Shoot. I, I want to go to the city that is that best fits all that I want and I have planned for my life. My life. I'll build my own city of not. We do this. God says, when you do, you, you forfeit an opportunity to trust and depend on me. Here's a fourth one, fourth consideration. God uses technology to partner with humanity to save and redeem. And this story comes from uh, Genesis chapter 6 through 8, uh, the story of Noah um, and it is uh, the world had become evil, and God says, I am going to uh, start over, if you will. And he chose Noah 
to start over. He said he gives Noah specific um, dimensions to build an ark so that he might save not only his family and then uh, his family and then begin again. And chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, he gives the dimensions. Make a, uh, this is not going to be on the screen, but I'll just read it. Make, um, starting at verse uh, 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubic cubit above and set the door of the ark uh, in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And then verse 22, uh, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So in this case, God partnered with Noah to build technology, the ark, to save and redeem. So, so the technology that you and I use, I mean, we have to begin looking for the redemptive purposes of it. So when I send an email or when I send a text message or when I post something online or, or when I go into my garage or my shed for, to build my tools, am I building something? Ultimately, obviously, we're building things to help make life easier, but also to think about, is there a way that I can actually help someone else? So if you're a man and you're working on a car and you maybe not have a son or your son is older, is there a younger guy who maybe say, man, I want to learn how to work on cars. I wish, I wish I had someone to help me. To, like, and while you're doing that, you're talking to that young man about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to love God with all of his heart and with all of his soul. If you are a mother, uh, the technology that you can use, whether it is your phone or what have you, is there messages that you can send to young mothers to encourage them along the way. I know you just had a baby and you're tired and the baby is crying, but I want you to know you're going to get through this and you can send that text and I want you to know that I'm thinking about you, that I'm praying for you as you walk through this. So the technologies that God has given us, we can actually use it to bless the world. The printing press. We have 20 million Bibles that are being printed literally every year. Over 5 billion copies sold, all because of something like the printing press. And now, Life Church, uh, U version, you can have your, the Bible on your phone. Technology is absolutely amazing to get the word out, to get encouragement, to actually send a note to say, hey, I want you to watch this message, and, or I want you to listen to this verse so that you might be encouraged or you might even come to know Jesus. Right now, this service is being streamed and we don't know how many people will watch it. Technology is being used to save and redeem. So I don't know, whatever, whatever technology God has placed in your hands, how can you use it for his glory, 
and his honor. How can you use your house? How can you use your car for those purposes? Let me give you the last one and we'll be done. Last one is we need God's wisdom and power to limit the danger of technology. We need God's wisdom and power to limit the danger of technology. Here's, uh, here's another one. This is, um, this is Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, this is the Tower of Babel. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the people migrated from east, from the east, they found a plain in the land, in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, this is very interesting. The Tower of Babel, this the city itself is not new technology, but the tower is. And the reason why this is such an important story for us to grab, Adam used technology to hide from God. Cain used technology to render God unnecessary. For the first time in Scripture, we see technology being used to directly disobey God. God commanded that the people scatter and fill the earth. What did they do? They stayed there and they built a tower to reach the heavens. And for the first time, we see a deliberate disobedience with technology. And for the first time, we see God interrupt a technological project. And this is what we see. Verses 6 and 7, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. This is a fascinating, this is a fascinating statement about technology. God is acknowledging the ability that he placed inside of every human being. Innovation, imagination, and creativity. And he recognizes that it is limitless. It can be limitless. He is also recognizing this. He is also acknowledging that there are some technological projects that should not go forward. There are some things that we do that we should not do because we cannot control ourselves. We cannot control. We are not good enough. We are not smart enough. We are not self-controlled enough to restrain the addictive nature of technology. And this is the reason why technology is inherently dangerous. 
as John Dyer would say, is inherently dangerous, not inherently evil, but inherently dangerous because it can cause us to forget God. It can cause us to render God as unnecessary. It can cause us to say that we don't need God. We don't need one another. We don't need community. And so technology, we see that it can be inherently dangerous. So we need the help of God. We need the help of the Spirit of God to curb our appetite for all of the new technology, all of the technology, so that it's not, uh, it's not gripping our hearts, but God is gripping our hearts. We need the help of God. We need the, bl- the blood of Jesus. We need the life of the Spirit of God in us so that he tells us where the boundaries are so that we might not make it an idol. Even Apple and Android understands the addictive nature of their own technology, how they have, the new technology is that they have put limit notifications on our phones so that you can see how long you have been on. Or your phone, you can actually turn your phone off at a certain time based on the limits. And and to show you how out of control we are, what do we do? We set the limits, we change the limits. We set the limits, we change the limits. We set the limits, we take the limits off. We set the limits. You know, you know the reason why we need the Spirit of God is because we cannot control ourselves. Only God can do that. So we need the Spirit of God, we need to invite him back into the sacred spaces of our technology. We need to invite him back into our lives in such a way that he sets the boundaries. How we use it, when we use it, where we use it, so that we bring him glory. So this is kind of a 30,000-foot view. We'll get into a few more specifics next week. Let's stand. And uh, if you have a prayer concern or prayer need, um, our elders and deacons and others, prayer team members will be down front to pray with you and um, to listen to your, um, to your concerns. If you don't know Jesus, um, these friends down front will be able to walk you through what it means to follow Jesus. Let me pray for us. So, Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And we ask for your power, your strength to limit um, the, the dangers of the technology we have at our disposal. We thank you for the gift of it. So teach us. Lead us. May we find ourselves inquiring of you how to live like followers of your son in a world that's broken, 
in a world that is in need of your Savior, your, your Son. So thank you. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To all the men in the room, happy Father's Day to you. You matter. You are important. And uh, I pray you have an amazing, an amazing day. God bless you.